our reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thank you, Anna. And if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together. But as we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time to gather around your word. And we pray that as we do, that you would speak to us by your spirit. That you would open our eyes to to see you. That you'd open our hearts to receive uh, what you have for us today. That we would hear your word. And that you would shape us as individuals and as a church family. Um, to, to want to follow you and, and to grow in you. And we pray you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, today with the visit from the presbytery, it's perhaps an appropriate moment to ask the question, what makes a healthy church? I wonder how would you answer that? Is a healthy church one that is full? Uh, or, or is it a church that has lots of stuff going on uh, for people to get involved in? Or or is it maybe a a place where people are well connected and there's a a real sense of community? Or is it perhaps a church with a a healthy bank balance that can pay all its bills and hire a few extra staff? Now, in a sense, all of those aspects I've just mentioned, they may be signs of health. But according to the passage that Anna just read to us, a church could be all of those things and yet still not be healthy. And that's because the key to any healthy church is the preaching, the preaching of and the listening to the word of God. As Paul writes to Timothy at the beginning of chapter four, he issues his charge, verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Faithful preaching of the word is to be at the heart of any healthy church. Without it, the church won't just be unhealthy, it will ultimately wither and die. 
Now, we've been in 2 Timothy over the past few months, and we've seen how Paul was writing to Timothy, encouraging him to keep going when the going got tough. This was one suffering church leader writing to another. Timothy was facing opposition both from inside and outside the church. He had to endure the the hostility of false teachers who were drawing people away with a message that was far more culturally acceptable and promised an easier life in the short term. And for Timothy, the temptation was there for him to go for the easy option, to avoid the suffering that went with preaching the gospel and join in with those whose message was far more appealing. But throughout this letter, we've seen Paul urge Timothy to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Last time we were in uh, this letter, we saw Paul remind Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed, that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Timothy could continue with confidence that the message he had to share, it was a message from God himself. And it's in the light of that truth that Paul issues his charge to Timothy at the beginning of chapter four. And I want us to notice two things about that charge that are applicable, not just for Timothy, but for anyone who's been in his position since. First of all, when it comes to preaching the word, every minister needs to remember who their ultimate audience is. Notice Paul's charge to Timothy was done in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. In his congregation, Timothy had people who didn't want to listen, who were hostile to the gospel. And it would have been so tempting to tweak the message just to get them on side, to make his life easier by making them happier. It's a temptation that is there for any minister to just tweak things slightly to avoid causing offense or to gain approval from their audience. But faithful preaching of the word will risk offense. Faithful preaching of the word, it won't be motivated by the approval of those who are gathered to listen. No, the faithful preacher will recognize that the audience that ultimately matters is a heavenly one. And whatever opposition, whatever criticism may come, it's that heavenly audience he desires to please. Because it's that heavenly audience that he will ultimately answer to. It's Jesus who will be the ultimate judge of any ministry. In fact, both in verse 1 and in verse 8, Paul speaks about Jesus' judgment and his appearing. Those themes are echoed in both those verses. And those repeated themes, they frame everything that happens in between. This whole section from verse 1 to verse 8 is formed in the context of Jesus' return in judgment. That's the frame for these verses. And it's that big picture that Timothy and all God's ministers need to keep in mind as they go about their ministry. Seasons of ministry come and go. There will be good times and there will be tough times. There will be encouragements and there will be discouragements. But the big picture is that God sees it all. 
He knows it all. Jesus is the one who will be the ultimate judge of whether a ministry is faithful or not. And that's why Paul urges Timothy, verse 2, to be ready in season and out of season. Whether it's in season and the church is thriving as people respond positively to the message, or whether it's out of season where people are hostile and resistant and the church is struggling. Timothy's job and every minister's job is to just keep going, to keep preaching the word faithfully and doing it in the knowledge that it's God's verdict on his ministry that ultimately matters. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, Paul reminds Timothy what that faithful preaching will involve. Verse two, he calls Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. See, Timothy's message was unpopular because it was challenging. Sometimes faithful preaching will be hard to hear. And that's because the gospel challenges self-centeredness. It says that the ultimate authority, it's not us, it's God. And that is so at odds with the prevailing view in our culture that places the self as the highest authority, where my feelings, my emotions are prized above everything else. So if I feel that something is right, if it suits me, then who is anyone to challenge that? But the faithful preacher will declare that God is the ultimate authority, not us. When God's word reproves, he will faithfully reprove. When God's word rebukes, he will faithfully rebuke. And when God's word exhorts, he will faithfully preach that, whatever the response might be. Now, a minister of the gospel is not to do that harshly or arrogantly. Paul reminds Timothy that he is to preach these things with complete patience. Verse 2, character and content go hand in hand. But even when it's done with complete patience, faithful preaching won't always be well received. And that's because those who listen may not want to hear it. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that these verses, they are not just for preachers. They are for listeners as well. Just as the preacher preaches in the presence of Christ, those who listen do so before God as well. This whole thing, remember, is framed in the context of Jesus' return, his appearing, his judgment. When Jesus returns to judge, how we have listened to his word will matter. So what does faithful listening look like? Well, we can see from these verses what it doesn't look like. Look with me at verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul warns Timothy of a time that he will face in his ministry where people won't endure sound teaching. That word endure, uh, that's maybe not a word that you would immediately associate with listening to teaching. Well, you might argue that you've had to endure some of my sermons over the years. You know, endure, it's, it's a word that conveys a sense of effort 
and hard work. And the people that Paul warns against, they are unwilling to put in the effort needed to grasp the teaching of God's word or or the hard work of applying it to their lives and obeying what God has to say. When they face reproof, rebuke, or exhortation, they reject it. They don't want to endure it. Instead, Paul says, they have itching ears. They have a desire to hear a message that suits their own passions. And so they accumulate for themselves teachers who will satisfy their desires. Teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Notice that they accumulate teachers. They don't just look for one alternative voice. They want to pile them up. They want as many people as possible agreeing to an alternative message of the gospel. It's a numbers game. When the faithful preaching of the gospel is in the minority, it's easier to discredit it and discard it. And if you are surrounded by people who are telling you what you want to hear, then there is no endurance involved in receiving that kind of message. It's just accepted without question. After all, who doesn't like to have their lifestyle and their behavior affirmed? As we've gone through this letter, we've seen that the message being peddled by the false teachers in Ephesus at that time was that the resurrection had already happened. That the benefits of the resurrection, like prosperity and an end to suffering, they were available now. It was the kind of message that tickled itching ears. A message that would have been quite acceptable to the culture around them. It would have been easy for Christians who felt like outsiders in their culture to accept that kind of teaching without any effort. And there are messages today, teaching today, that it doesn't require any effort to accept. Jonathan Dodson comments, Philosophies hammered out in the halls of the academy often trickle down into our culture. As certain viewpoints become embedded in the cultural psyche, it can be very difficult to resist them and embrace our status as Christians as a cognitive minority. The cultural and social pull to adopt these viewpoints is so strong and the social penalties of ignoring them so high that Christians often unreflectively comply. I wonder... Who are the teachers that you are listening to? It's very easy, very easy for us, even as Christians, to become so influenced by the culture around us that we adopt unbiblical viewpoints and influences without even thinking about it. Instead of submitting to biblical authority, we allow ourselves to be directed by the prevailing culture. And it's perhaps never been so easy to accumulate teachers who will suit our own passions. You see, in the past, to learn about a new idea, a new view, you might have needed to go and buy a book or attend a class. But now all you need to do is scroll on your phone 
and you'll find a limitless supply of articles, podcasts, and tweets that will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. And the more you go down a certain path, the more of the same kind of content that you click on, the more that content will be driven in your direction. An illustration of that, my Instagram account consists almost exclusively of videos of football and food. (laughs) Seriously, Meta's algorithm knows what I like and it keeps pushing it to me. I keep getting more of it. But the same happens with ideas and ways of looking at the world. We can accumulate so many teachers saying the same thing that we end up being confined to an echo chamber. And because it's happening online, it's usually without the corrective balance of our church community. And that can lead us to a place where we can end up forming very strong opinions in a particular direction. The the communications regulator Ofcom this week published research that found that Facebook users become less politically polarized if they deactivate their Facebook account for just four weeks. I wonder, what do your social media profiles say about you? What content keeps getting pushed in your direction? Are there views and ideas that you are surrounded by that you have unquestioningly imbibed, but might actually be unhelpful. Things that have become more of an authority to you than biblical authority. It might be worth taking some time to reflect on whether there's anything that is dominating your perspective. Whether you've accumulated teachers down one particular path. Ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it true? Is it balanced? Is it at odds with the Bible? Is it something that I'm working out alongside others in my Christian community? If not, it it might be an idea to discuss it with others, to discuss it with a mature Christian friend who can maybe help you see past any, any blind spots and provide some discernment. Because the danger of unquestioningly accepting teaching that suits our passions is that we end up believing lies. That's what Paul warns will happen to those with itching ears, verse 4. That they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What we listen to. Who we listen to is so, so important. It will shape us, it will direct us, and it will either lead us down the path of truth or error. And that's why it is so important that faithful preaching and faithful listening of the word of God is at the heart of the church. As he faced hostility and discouragement, as he watched people listening to false teachers and wandering off into myths. The temptation for Timothy to give up would have been huge. 
But Paul knew just how important faithful preaching was to the health of the church. And so he urges in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Unlike those who accumulated teachers and were carried off into myths, Paul urges Timothy to be sober-minded to keep his head, however intoxicating some of those myths might be. He recognizes that things are tough. Paul knew that. After all, he was writing this from prison. We've seen throughout this letter that those who are faithful to the gospel will face suffering. But he calls Timothy to endure it. And we know already that that is not something that Timothy was expected to do in his own strength. That the theme of this letter from the very beginning is to endure suffering by the power of God. That as Christians, we do not suffer for the gospel on our own. God promises to strengthen us by his spirit to endure when things are hard. That's why when we face tough times, we need to bring everything to him. Whatever challenges, whatever burdens, whatever discouragements we might face, we need to take them to God, trusting in his promise that he will give us the strength to endure. Paul called Timothy to endure suffering. And he called him to do the work of an evangelist. That when things were tough, the answer was not to keep quiet, to hide away, but to speak out, to keep declaring the good news of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. That in Jesus Christ, the eternal God took on flesh, He entered our world to save sinful people like you and me. He lived a perfect life, yet he willingly went to his death on a cross and then rose to life again so that anyone who trusts him could know that their past is forgiven and their future is secure, that they stand blameless before the God of the universe clothed in the perfect spotless robes of Jesus. Whatever changing situations he faced, Timothy was to keep declaring the unchanging message of the gospel, knowing that by God's spirit, it had the power to transform lives. And with that gospel message to declare, he could respond to Paul's call to not give up, to not quit, but to fulfill your ministry. After all, that's what Paul had done. He'd kept going right to the end. In the midst of his discouragements, Timothy could look to his mentor, verse 7, who by God's grace had been strengthened to endure through some of the worst types of persecution. He'd fought the good fight. 
He'd finished the race. He'd kept the faith. And as he awaited his final day on earth, Paul could look beyond his own personal circumstances to the glorious crown that was laid up for him, verse 8. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. It was the same crown that Timothy and all who have loved his appearing could look forward to. It's a crown that we cannot earn. It's a crown that we do not deserve. It's a crown that has been won for us at the cross. What makes a healthy church? It's a church that has its eyes fixed on that crown. A church where the message of the saving love of Jesus Christ for sinners is declared in season and out of season. It's a church where that message is listened to and applied by those who hear it. It's a church that looks forward to the day when our Lord will return. And until that day, it keeps declaring the truth in a world full of myths, so that more and more people might love his appearing. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we would be a people who listen to it, who hear what you have to say, and who are shaped and changed by it. We pray that you would strengthen us to endure, that you would remind us of your goodness and your grace, and that many, many people would come to love the appearing of our Lord Jesus as a result of your word being declared here. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.